Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. What do you do after Easter? It's this big, big mission, big thought process, big lots of planning to make Easter this incredible service. But what happened when, when it's over? What happens the next week? And one thing that I've always been so thankful for is that it's still Resurrection Sunday. The church isn't celebrating because it's not Easter, but we're celebrating because Jesus is risen. Even this week, even the week before, the reason we have Easter is to focus on that. But it's still true today. Our sins are still forgiven. The gospel is still relevant, and it still changes our life. And so as I was thinking about the church year and planning out these series, this is going to be too much information, but you guys get to experience. Um, I was very congested. And I was trying to think about where we would go with this. And I'm looking through this. I've got like this resource of all these different series with the graphics and stuff that we use. And I came across this and I had just felt the relief from this congestion. Like, have you ever been so stopped up? Like you can't breathe out of either nostril. And then maybe, maybe they'll like mess with you and one will get clear and the other one won't. <laughs> well, I, I, I had one that was clear and one that wasn't. And I had like laid my head kind of back and like the mucus had began to drain to the other one. And there was this moment where I could clearly breathe through both nostrils. And there was just this, it was like, man, I'm finally getting over whatever this is that's been plaguing me. It wasn't so serious that it like knocked me out and I was in the bed. It was just like this annoying sinuses or whatever it was, cold. And there's this moment where I just had that breath of fresh air. And I was like, that's what the gospel does for us. Like there's this moment when we have the realization that Jesus forgives our sins, but he doesn't just forgive us and give us a free pass into heaven and out of hell. He forgives us and frees us from that. He allows, the gospel changes us and allows us to have this abundant life and to walk in that. And it's this breath of fresh air. And so that's what I want to explore through this series. Uh, So, uh, I'll, kind of a, a verse that I kept going to as I was thinking about praying through it was in Corinthians. So this is 2 Corinthians 4.16, and Paul says, Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by 
day, when we truly surrender all and declare Jesus as Lord, is a renewing and reviving experience day by day. And I think um, King David, he has a psalm in Psalm 63, where I think he summarizes this really well. And so that's where I want to go and where I want to start our journey this for this series. And this is in Psalm 63. I want to start by reading verses, 30, or verses 3 through 5. It says, My lips will glorify you because your loving kindness is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That's what the gospel does for us. It satisfies us like with rich food. Anybody in here a fan of rich food? All-time favorite dessert, tiramisu, okay? I absolutely love it. I went on this journey because I wanted to make it for Easter, so I went on this, I've made a couple different versions of it. I have one that was awful, one that was decent. I never found the happy medium, okay? so But then my mom's birthday was a few weeks ago, and we were in North Carolina, and so we gathered for her birthday this past week, and we went to Milano's in Conyers, Fantastic restaurant. If you if you want some Italian food, go check out Milano's, right? They have a great house salad. They have I like the minicotti. It's got the cheese and the sauce. It's great. The garlic bread is fantastic. And then they have tiramisu. And it's so rich and light and creamy, but it's got this strong coffee flavor. And it's so satisfying to be at the end of this meal and partake in this delicious, rich coffee dessert. That's what David is saying. God, you are my God. Your presence is so rich. I long for you. I thirst for you. That, that's the joy of the gospel. That's the joy of following Jesus. It says your love is better than life. So how do we get there? right? How do we get there? And that's what the, the amazing part about this, this psalm is it's been broken down. It's a, it's a need for satisfaction. It's the hope for satisfaction. And it's the way to satisfaction. Those aren't my three points, but that's what commentators have broken this psalm down, okay? So that we're going to go through that journey. The first we know is we need, we need that longing. We need that moment. But how do we get there? And he shows us, we read verses three through five, And that's the satisfaction that we need, that we long for, that we've experienced. But he tells us how to get there in the very first verse. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. It is the longing and the hunger for God to move that causes him to move and satisfy in our lives. God moves where he is wanted. And when we hunger for him, that's when he shows up. Now, if you're like me, you know David's story. And so you read this psalm and you're thinking, okay, of course, I mean, David, King David, he's on top of the world. He's got all the power and riches that he could ever experience. He probably woke up one morning, he was like drinking his espresso and he gets out of his California king-size bed, walks out onto his balcony, feels the cool of the air, looking out over his kingdom. He's like, man, life is good. I feel a, I feel a psalm welling up inside of me. Somebody, somebody fetch me a scroll. <laughs> he sits down on his balcony. God, 
you are my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, let me underline. That is, that's a good word. Oh, I thirst for you. Oh, eagerly, passionately, longingly, eager, earnestly, I, I thirst for you. Right? We got this, this vision of, ki- of King David being so passionate. He's, he's like, man, this is good. I'm, this is a banger. This is going to go on for all of time. All right? <laughs> and that's this picture we have of King David writing this psalm because we know his story. We know that he went from this shepherd boy, outcast in the field, taking care of sheep. He defeats Goliath. He gets this fame and fortune, and now he's sitting on the mountaintop. Of course, he is satisfied with God. He's satisfied with the way God has moved in his life, and he is doing great things. And we see that, and a lot of times if we read that psalm at certain seasons in our life, and we're thinking, I, I don't hunger for God like that. I, I'm not getting out of my California king bed and having servants bring me my espresso. Okay, David probably didn't even have espresso. Right, but we're not in that moment. We compare David's life to our life, and we think, that's not me. I can't hunger for God like that. I'm not experiencing that mountaintop moment. I have needs. My spouse has needs. My kids have needs. I can't hunger for God. I would like to. I would like to be passionate for God like David. I would love to hunger for his presence like this psalm talks about. But my situation First, it has to be different. I need to be more like David where I can get out of my funk and get into the mountaintop. And that's when I'll be able to have that. We say things like, man, I don't have the bandwidth. I would love to to sit down with my Bible open, to sit down and take time to pray. But I'm just at the end of my rope. All of the family is, is begging me to fill these needs. I got to figure out what's going to be for dinner. I got to, we got the, the job is relentless. The, the car needs an oil change. The house has this list of needs that be, need to be repaired. And don't even let me talk about how long the grass is and how it needs to be cut. But it seems to rain all the time. And we have, we sit down, we open up our Bible, we go to read and hunger and thirst and meet and be satisfied by God. But we're clouded with all of these things that have to be done first. We just, I can't hunger for God like David. Or maybe it's not your energy and bandwidth. Maybe it's a mentality. I've made the time to sit down. I actually sit down, I open my Bible, I get ready to journal or, or write out some prayer. And as soon as I sit down, my mind just goes berserk. I lose focus. Uh, did the light bill get paid? Is there gas in the car? Can I even afford to put gas in the car? What should I cook for dinner? What, what, do I need to go to the grocery store? Or maybe it's just the stresses of like, God, I need you to come through and, and you didn't. You're frustrated with him. God, you said that you're good, but then explain the situation that I'm going through. God, I really need this in my life, but I don't have it. My kids are knuckleheads. My spouse is, to quote Buddy the Elf, a cottonhead and ninny muggins. All right. There's just this sense of I'm frustrated with everything going on around me. How am I supposed to hunger and thirst for you like King David? We want to be like him, but there's a gap. There's a gap in our life that's keeping us from being in that situation. But I want us to go back to this psalm and unpack it a little bit. Because if you go, if you have your Bibles, you'll see this. If you go and you look at the very beginning, you have the heading of Psalm 63, and there are these little words that are italicized, and they kind of talk about what the psalm is. And it says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. 
Now for us, we, most of us know that these headings that are in the Bible, like if you open up to the New Testament, you, open, you go in through the, the passages are separated by these subheadings, right? And we know that the subheadings are not a part of the original text. The verses, the verse numbers, they're not a part of the original text. They were added later as a way to be able to reference and study scripture more easily. And so when we get to Psalms, a lot of times we think it's the same, and we ignore those subheadings. But the subheadings in the book of Psalms are actually in the original text. So when they were assembling this book, when they were writing, when they were putting the, psalm, the book of Psalms together, they wanted the reader or the person who's going to be reciting the psalm to know who wrote it and when they wrote it. They wanted us to know that David wrote this psalm when he was in the desert of Judah. So what does that mean? Well, why is it important for us? If you go to when David was in the desert of Judah, you can see this in 2 Samuel verses 15, or chapters 15 to 18. But we come to this point in David's life where he doesn't want to be in the desert, but he is forced there. We see that, that David has been blessed. He's overcome all kinds of enemies. God's people are thriving in his kingdom. Life is good. And it's in this season of David, of life being great for David, where he begins to take his eyes off of God and begins to fix them on something he finds beautiful, but he's not allowed to have. You know the story with Bathsheba. And even though she's married, he takes her for himself and she ends up pregnant. He tries to cover up this sin by having her husband killed, and he thinks he's getting, gotten away with it until he's confronted by, Dave, by Nathaniel. And when he's confronted, David mourns. He mourns because he realizes that he has created great sin. He repents, he asks God to forgive him, and God is gracious to forgive him. But just because he is forgiven does not mean that his sin doesn't have consequences. David has received the forgiveness, but there are consequences for his actions. And one of those is that as his son Absalom grows up, he actually puts together a small army, deceives and convinces a large portion of the kingdom to follow him, and launches a full-scale rebellion to overthrow and kill his father, King David. When David finds out about this, he realizes that his son has, is trying to kill him and trying to take the kingdom, and there's no way that he can fight back. He runs into the desert, the desert of Judah, to hide. And it's there in the wilderness, running for his life, having lost all that he has, that he pins this psalm, Psalm 63. Imagine that. Imagine that you and your son or your best friend or your spouse, you start a business and it's thriving. You quit your day job. You finally have, you've reached the dream. You're living the success. You are on the mountaintop. You show up to the office one day and the locks have been changed and the police are there to escort you off the premises because your partner has stabbed you in the back and left you with nothing. That's more of the context of this psalm than feeling the the favor of the Lord on the balcony of a palace. That's what's going on here. And it's in this moment, David remembers what God has. He says that on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. He remembers how God has provided for him in the past. He remembers who God is. And it's in that moment that he hungers and he thirsts for God. 
We want to hunger and thirst like David, but there's a gap. And I get it. We all know this gap. But what I want us to see this morning is that for David, there was a gap too. He was on the run. He had lost it all. His own son had stabbed him in the back figuratively and was wanting to to do it literally. The gap, the difficulties we are facing, they shouldn't be what keep us from longing for God. They should be what instead drives us to be satisfied in him alone. To quote John Tyson, the gap is the gift. The distance between what you want and where you are is the thing that creates the hunger in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that you should uh, derive pleasure and seek out pain and hardship. I don't want you to be a masochist, but what I am saying is that we have to stop always trying to get out of every hard situation that happens to us. We have to resist the urge to sulk and give up when things are hard. We have to resist the urge to try and fix everything, which is what I do all the time. If something's wrong, I just want to fix it. We have to resist that urge. We have to resist the urge to make every bad thing that happens our own fault. It's my fault. I know it was me. We have, what we have to understand is sometimes God is trying to create a hunger in our hearts for him and he lifts his hand of protection or he allows things to happen so that we can experience the true hunger for him and in that moment be satisfied in him alone. So many Christians, our prayer is to, for God to just fix my situation. And this prayer is good. You should cry out to God because he wants to hear the heart of his children. He wants to fix your situation, but he knows so much better than we do what the outcome we need to be. There are so many other prayers that we can pray. Cry out to him to fix your situation, but also pray that your life would glorify him. Pray that God can continue to stir our heart and hunger for him, that that we are uh, trying to be transformed by him and, underst- and cry out the Lord, we, we don't understand, but we trust you. There's all these things that there's a moment in our life where we see this gap. What I want us to understand is that gap can be a gift of God calling us to hunger and thirst for him. And when we do that, we, that hunger and that thirst is, cha- is answered. we have a hope for satisfaction when we hope in him. When this changes, when that moment changes in us, when we see the gap that we're going through as as a chance to be hunger and thirst for him, and it changes the cry of our heart from not fix this, Lord, but transform me in this, meet me in this. Lord, I call and I hunger for you alone. When that changes, what we have to understand is God is eager to answer that cry. He delights when we want his glory. He wants us to delight in his love. He wants us to delight in his presence. He wants us to delight in his forming of us. And when we hunger to be satisfied by him, we won't long, we won't long to be filled for too long, before we actually feast, because God comes where, he, where he's wanted. When the cry of your heart is verse one, I thirst for you, I long for you like a parched land longs for water. It's not long before you are in verse three, where you experience that his love is better than life. And we know, we've already talked about where King David's life has been. He's writing that God's love is better than life. We know the kind of life that he has experienced. Listen, 
And you take about, when you think about David's life and how he achieved what our culture would call the American dream, he achieved everything that our culture thinks is, is the, the destination where we want to be. He had lots of wives and concubines. That means he had lots of sex. God's love is better than that. Can somebody tell the marketing department, please? <laughs> like, think about how that would change our culture. He had unparalleled riches. Money was no object for him. God's love is better than wealth. He was a king. He literally had the power of life and death. What he wanted, he got. God's love is better than power. The things that our culture seeks, sex, money, and power, God's love is greater than those things. And this word here it's the, in the original language is a word that we don't really even know how to translate. It's something that is unique to God, hasad, I think is how you say it, right? And some Bibles, if you, you can pull up five different translations, get five different words. Sometimes they say loving, his love. Sometimes they say loving kindness. Sometimes they say loyal love or faithful love. There's all these different ways because they're trying to make this word unique because it's a word that is used in the Hebrew to describe God's love. There's nothing else like it. Nothing satisfies like it. And when we long for that, when we long for his love and we hunger for that, he is faithful to give it to us. His love is better than all else. His faithful love, his steadfast love, his loyal love, his loving kindness, whatever you want to call it, it is greater than anything else you desire and you seek. But still, so often we are trying to find our fulfillment in the things of this world. And this psalm is saying, no, Sometimes God allows a gap to change our desire from the things of this world to nothing but his presence. Let that transform your deepest longing. And when it does, the Lord is faithful to satisfy. It will be life-changing. It will be a breakthrough. Dare I say, it will be a breath of fresh air. So how, if that's the, the, the satisfaction, we know we need that satisfaction, we know that we have a hope for that satisfaction, how do we get there? What is the way to get there? Verse 11 says it like this, all who swear by God will glory in him. We have to put him above all else. That's the only way that you and I can achieve this satisfaction, to realize that the gospel, Jesus paid it all. He is Lord. And when we lay down our life and follow him, he becomes our all in all. That's when our hunger for him is greater than anything else. You want to hunger and you want to thirst. You want your satisfaction to be filled. It's only in Jesus Christ that that happens. Jesus is at a festival <clears throat> and he's uh, met with his family and friends, and he's actually had this experience where his own family don't believe he's the Messiah. And they're like, Jesus, you should chill out a little bit. Maybe you don't cause a ruckus. And so Jesus is like, I'm going to cause a ruckus. And so he's on the last day of this festival, and this is in John uh, 7, verses 37. It says, on the last day and the most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. But the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. 
Jesus is saying, if you have a longing in your heart, you must stop seeking the things of this world and seek me. I am a fountain that does not run dry. I'm a stream of living water flowing from within you. I will satisfy you like nothing else. But it's only in Jesus that we have that satisfaction. We compare that to the warning we see that Jeremiah gives to God's people in the Old Testament. They've gotten their satisfaction from all the things around them other than God. And Jeremiah says to them, for my people, he's speaking on God's behalf, he says, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. God's people, and this is true for us who follow Jesus, we have a never-ending fountain of living water. But they abandoned him and dug themselves cracked, damaged cisterns. Do you know what happens with cracked and damaged cisterns? At first, they are full of flowing water, cold, thirst-quenching water, and it's easy to get, it's easy to drink. But as they come back week after week, those cracks begin to give way. More and more water drips out of that. And this thing that was satisfying them in the beginning begins to run dry. And Jesus is saying, before long, they go back to that cistern where it, was, it used to satisfy them. And no longer is it satisfying them. No longer is it providing what they need. But Jesus is saying, I never run dry. I am faithful to love you forever and always. You don't have to seek anything but me. You want to know how the gospel renews and revives us, how it becomes a breath of fresh air? It creates in us this Psalm 63 loop where we thirst for God and he satisfies. And that satisfaction is so great, it causes us to thirst for him even more. And in that moment when we thirst for him even more, he becomes even more satisfying. Over and over again, we go back to that well and it does not run dry. It continues to satisfy and it invigorates us. It gives us the passion that we call for for life. When we think about the gospel and how God gave it all to forgive us of our sins and bring freedom, we are renewed. Though the outside of our bodies, though our circumstances might not be perfect, Though there may be a gap between where we are and where we want to be, that in that moment, that gap creates in us a hunger that is only satisfied by Jesus. He is what we have to long for. And when we find our satisfaction in him, it gives us a renewed energy and passion for life. I started out with the gross illustration because I wanted to end with one that was less gross, okay? When I thought, thought about this fresh air and what it means and, and how it changes us, I, anybody in here enjoyed a hike? I know there's a few of us in here that like hiking. I wish I did it more. I love hiking. But uh, our family's got this like small little cabin thing in Alabama that's close to Mount Chihaw. And so we will go up there and every now and then we'll go and there's like a little waterfall where you can go and you can like hike up to this waterfall. We set up our hammocks and it's great. But one summer, when we were praying about what, where we wanted to start Revive and all of that, Lauren and I took like a prayer retreat up there. And so we went up to the state park, which is a little bit of a drive, and did this really big hike, right? This really big hike to some really great mountaintop views. In order to get to those mountaintop views, you got to climb up those mountaintop hills. And it's exhausting, right? It, 
And we're climbing and we have to take these breaks. It's exhausting. We're very tired. And we get like this little, this little peak of, of the view that's going to be coming, right? So right, it kind of gives you a little bit more energy, right? And then finally you get to your destination and you're, you're drained. Like you just went on this long hike, climbing these different rocks and going down these different trails. And you get to the top and there's this moment when you're standing at the top and you're looking out over this mountain air and it's cool and it's refreshing and it's different than being down on ground level. And you just take in that fresh air and that view and it's invigorating and then you have this thought I gotta go back down that same path I just climbed but it doesn't matter I don't look back on that time and think man that hike down back down was miserable even though I was already tired even though we were exhausted because we had been to that moment even though it was hard and difficult and everything wasn't it didn't go as smoothly as we thought there's a one time where we got lost because we had took the wrong little spot like it, it was not what we thought it was going to be but that moment at the top with that fresh air and that view was invigorating and energizing and renewing and getting back down to the bottom was no problem. And we look back and it was one, a mountaintop experience. It was a moment where we experienced that breath of fresh air. And that's what it means to, to surrender your life to Jesus and follow him with all that you are and let him be your longing satisfaction. Though things in life may be difficult, though there may be a gap between where you are and where you want to be, he is satisfying and renewing his love is life-changing and it's in him that we receive that satisfaction. It's only in Jesus. Let Psalm 63 be our prayer, that we hunger and we thirst for him. And in that hunger and thirst, that prayer is answered and we find unlimited satisfaction in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you gave it all. We thank you that though the world around us may be difficult, there may be a gap in our situation, that you give us life and that you create in us a hunger that only you can fill. Lord, I pray that you would fill us up. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys are dismissed.